Welcome, adventurers. All things move toward one last confrontation, one last meeting between one who is driven by greed and those that would protect the province. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon It was decided, after much deliberation, that that is where they would go. Alhaya Mara. South of the wall, Mela's dreams had begun. Bits of memory that floated back, of lush trees and terraced fields, of a village. But they always ended with fire, screaming and fire. There were faces, faces she had known. Mela had never remembered anything much before the orphanage, but these dreams, what was contained in them, her childhood. She kept them to herself for the time, unsure of what they meant, if anything. They had prepared as best they could, the glass sea. The foreboding desert presented many challenges, and all was nearly lost in the ruins of Alhayamara. Its citizens were long dead, but did not rest. A nightmare of shambling corpses, of ever-present and relentless zombies, inhabited every niche, every sand-worn ruin. What remained of the city had been largely swallowed by the desert. But it was there, where the undead denizens were the thickest, that they found an abode with the final clues. An eerily preserved residence which had belonged to the Abbas family, if the name chiseled over the gate was to be believed. There they uncovered much found writings to and by Ergul Esmere Abbas, who had become the wizard Esmere. The writings from Ergul, or Esmere, were in the same hand as the fragment of the letter they had found in Anganar's lair. The final tumbler fell, the who behind the emerald scarab. But the how she still lived after all these hundreds of years, that was a much more troubling problem. Colborn had said there were ways to persist beyond death, rumors of dark magics that were frowned upon in the normal arcane circles that held clout within the province. However, he also said that those things, those forbidden spells, and knowledge always had a way of surviving, like some ever-present demon that dwelled in the shadows. Given the throng of residents that persisted here long beyond their final breaths, it seemed Esmeray 
the emerald scarab had found these secrets and harnessed their terrible powers. From what they had found, it was apparent that Esmeré had ties that strongly bound her to the ruined city of Ardisport. They had camped on the outskirts of the city that once was on their trip here. It was there that Colborn had told her of the city's history. He always put context to the many places they traveled. But never again. A cruel joke that they had paused within a mile of their goal, on their way to a detour into the desert that ate up the better part of a month. But there was nothing for it. It had passed. It had been written. On their return, they had ventured into the ruins, searched for two full days and most of a third. In muddled heat, below frustrated rain clouds, as the third day had drawn to an end, Colborn had found it, the tower that no one seemed to be able to see. It had taken a powerful spell to break the glimmer, to see what was right before them. A tower, six stories tall, that stood untouched amongst the ruins. It should have stood out like a sheep dyed red, but powerful magics had made it unseen. Before they had even entered, and with no words exchanged, it was known to all that they had found at long last their quarry, found the emerald scarab, and they had, and they fought, and Colborn had been taken from them. As Sarkeesian's blade had dealt a final strike, what should have been called the mortal blow, the emerald scarab's form faded in a green mist, mist that trailed away to the north, and as it faded, a laugh that echoed in their minds. Where there should have been some release in it, some feeling that a great evil had been turned from the world, that last laugh echoed in silence, filling them with uncertainty. Frantically, Mela had tried to differentiate what ash might have once been Colborn amongst the ruined stone, dirt, and sand. She had seen her friends perform such great acts of magical healing. Sarkeesian and Rianoc had saved any number of them more times than she could count on her hands at this point. This could not be the end. At the time she hadn't heard it, so focused was she on her task. But in remembering it, the sound of Colfin and Sarkeesian arguing loudly in the background was louder than everything. It had ended with the clap of flesh on flesh, a slap that punctuated the storm of argument. The crack was accompanied by the gasps of her companions. Mela was never sure if it was the slap or the silence that followed that roused her from her unthinkable chore. She had turned to see Colfin standing before Sarkeesian, sword still in her hand. The look on the tall woman's face was of stony horror. Her cheek was swollen under one eye, 
the slightest hue of red rose above its dark tint. Colfin's face was red in shame, but his eyes were hard with defiance. Rianak and Ketri may as well have been one of the many stones that made up the ruins. It drew on the silence until Sarkeesian gave a barely perceptible nod. Tears formed in the tall woman's eyes, almost in unison with the tears that formed in Colfin's. After a few more beats, the fork-bearded dwarf turned toward her and made his way to where she knelt, grubbing. He had produced a small leather sack, opening the mouth, nodding toward her hands hands which held fists full of ash. Mela's heart had leapt at first as she took it to mean Colfin was thinking the same as she, but icy panic had stabbed into her chest as he drew the sack shut after she had deposited only the two handfuls within. That wasn't all. There was more of it, of him. Through muffled tears, he whispered, Flitted Pihilas. He has earned his rest. He deserves to be with his wife and daughter again. They were words. Words she understood. Understood, but tried not to hear. But for all of her effort, they breached her mind. It was then, then that the first scream, the first no, broke from her lungs. She wasn't sure how long she had screamed, how long she had cried. Someone had held her as she did. Sarkeesian or Rianak, maybe both. Inside the tower, their worst fears were confirmed. A book, thin, an inch thick at most, covered in a sickly green leather, dried and cracked told the truth of what they faced, of what horrors and atrocities the wizard Esmeray had perpetrated to become the Emerald Scarab, a being of unimaginable power, a lich bairn, which meant dark flame or dark soul in the old tongue, a being to which death was but a mere inconvenience, but this horrible tome also shed light on a slim path to victory. An anchor, an anchor for Esmeray's mortal soul had been enchanted, binding her unnatural body and spirit to this plane. If this anchor could be found, found and destroyed. But where? Where? In all the wide world did this anchor lie. What remote mountain or dingy ruin held this demon's most valuable possession? It was better than a closet, if only just barely. There was plenty of room in the irregular-shaped chamber ahead, but upon first pass of his eyes and hands, 
There seemed to be no additional exits from this room either. The walls were covered in carved writings of the same language they had discovered all those months prior in Jumato. He said they, but the truth of it was, it was Alarian that had put it together. His contribution was really nothing more than his normal itchy hands. Greed that made him reach into the broken rafters in the ruins of the citadel to pluck at some shiny bit in the hopes it was valuable. In a rare moment, regret washed over him. If he had just left well enough alone, if he had never picked the ring from the place it had rested, for Roselia only knew how long, they may never have come here may never have found what had lain hidden in ruin and obscured history, and the infuriating boy would still be alive. Orteval would still be. Snare swallowed, wiping a tear away, pushing the thoughts from his mind. He had one task that needed to be solved before any other. Surviving. With nowhere else to go and nothing else to do, a bell's time searching brought Snare to the depressing conclusion that this chamber was as it first appeared. A dead end. The secret door through which he entered its only point of ingress and egress. He wasn't sure exactly what function the room had served. A curved stone altar of sorts at one part of the room lay across from a rounded alcove. There was no certainty but after a life of taking things, he felt there were items missing from both. Statuary, ritual items. The roof above the altar bore some darker spots that implied the use of candles or torches at some point in the past. But the room, whatever it had been, was picked clean, which meant that the former inhabitants, the Cries de Honander, had taken everything or Snare was not the first person to discover the hidden door. The only good thing to come out of the time spent searching was the time itself. Over a bell had passed, and the secret door had not slid open, had not been uncovered by the hobgoblins whom they had disturbed upon their entrance. But that was truly the one good thing. Snare had another five or six days' worth of rations, as many as ten if he ate sparingly. However, his water would only last another day or two. So though he was safe for the moment, his two options seemed to be to die in this cursed tomb of dehydration, or pick a time to head back into the main hall and hope with all he was he could somehow slip from the temple unseen by its violent inhabitants. Of course, that was really no decision, only a question of when he would try to make his escape. Snare made his way back to the secret entrance, put his back to the wall, and slumped down. He ate a small portion of food and took a mouthful of water. A few bells to soul set, give or take. No point in making any quick moves. Better to let their attackers think he had escaped. Let them become less vigilant 
before he tried anything. Snare drew a second dagger, keeping it clutched in his hand, and closed his eyes. He battled a mind that danced on the verge of terror. Trapped, again, in a room with no light and only one way out. If he found his way free of this somehow, he would never venture underground again. Eventually, sleep came. Scratching. His nails clawed against stone. The door was gone. There was no light. Even his usual low-light vision was gone. Nothing but black. Had the Baron taken his eyes as well as his tongue? The air was stifling. He clawed his way from wall to wall. There was no exit. How much more air was there? Scraping and scratching. He was going to die in here. Snare lurched awake to the sound of scraping. He rolled to his feet, facing the door. Thank Gorion, his dark vision had not been taken from him. A dream, but the sound was not. His first worry was the hopgoblins were trying to pry their way into the room, but as he came fully awake, he recovered his senses, realized the sound was too muffled, too small to be just the other side of the door. Sheathing the dagger, he placed his ear to the door. Definitely not there. He moved south, and then around the corner. It was there, not close by, but somewhere to the south, something dug. What could they have been digging for? Who knew? He did know that if something was digging, that he was not alone. And if he was not alone, he could not make an escape. The noise continued for a bar. Ten bars. A half bell. A bell. In the absence of any other noise, of any other stimulus, it felt as if the scraping was beginning to etch into the back of his skull. A bell and a half. He couldn't take it anymore. Standing, he made his way as far from the source as the room would allow. Stopping in the far northwest corner, he paused. He couldn't hear it. Or could he? Was it there? It was maddening. Now that it was gone, it was all he could think of. In a way, it was his only connection to the outside world. After ten bars of straining to hear, he slunk back to listen. The scratching continued. Another bar, and he couldn't stand it anymore. Snare stomped back away. And that is how he spent the next half-bell, pacing back and forth between the sound and the idea that he could not hear it. Finally, as he approached the wall for what felt like the hundredth time, he listened, and it was gone. He mashed his ear to the wall. It was gone. He felt panic rising. What did it mean? Had they reached what they were digging for? Was that a good thing or a bad thing? 
If they had found what they searched for, maybe they would leave. Hope fluttered, and then choked as another noise could be heard. Cries of dismay. Snare listened with great anticipation. They moved. The screams, they dulled. Snare strained to hear. And then, with a quick realization, he moved his ear from the south wall to the secret door that faced the hall to the east. Louder again. A scream of terror. Muffled as it was, it still sent a chill down Snare's spine. What was happening? And then a call. The tone implied a command, but the voice, though loud, was low, and he couldn't make out the words. And then... Nothing. No noise at all. What did it mean? It was hard to believe how little time passed before he missed the scraping. He waited again. Waited in the lightless, noiseless void. The whole time he went over the order of things. Scraping, screams, a command. Scraping, screams, a command. The scraping could only be digging. The for what was not important. The screams were clearly fear. A command? A call for a retreat? The cadence had been right for such. It followed that if there was fear, then fleeing was a logical response. But what was afraid of what? And what had fled? The tone sounded like the cries he had heard in combat the voices of hobgoblins. So if they fled, then something else defended this place. A defender would not care if he left, and that was all he wanted to do. A deep breath, and then he pulled the latch at the back of the secret door. Snare stepped back into the closet area. The wall slid shut behind. He waited and listened. Nothing. Ear pressed to the door. Nothing. As quiet as a bat, he opened the door, stepping into the main hall. His dark vision only reached about twenty paces. There were bodies on the floor. Hobgoblin, mostly. But away toward the extent of his vision, he recognized Alarion's ruffled robes the shafts of many arrows protruding from his lifeless form. But nothing moved. Snare thought of making his way to the boy. But for what reason? Snare still had the ring, and with the boy's amulet... Orcs, bile. Whatever treasure lay here could stay for another thousand years for all he cared. Who gave two coppers for the creus down and there? Let them remain a legend. After one last sweep of the room, one last listen, Snare made his way with all caution in a straight line for the door through which they had arrived. It was opened, unguarded. Two steps before he passed through, he caught something out of the corner of his eye. Another body, covered in chain mail. A shield sprawled away to one side. Snare froze. Ortval. 
He couldn't bring himself to look fully upon the form. Tears had formed again. But what could he do? A clatter of rock, a disturbed stone falling into the chamber behind him. Snare fled. Guilt burned inside him, but he fled through the last two chambers, fled out into the night, into the Gimlin woods, where nothing waited for him besides the trees. Come, adventurers, join me next week. There are many who will need your strength to help them in the deeds that must be done. Stay tuned next week for part five of Yonef's Fate.